We need to make it easier for parents, make it easy for kids. YBC is already opening vaccination registration for kids five and up before they're even approved to get the shot. Plus, I've never seen anything like this and it's very hard. High COVID-19 case rates overwhelming Northern Health Hospitals have one top doctor making a public plea and why are you being arrested? Uh, ask him. The VPD's gang crime unit makes a dramatic arrest with guns drawn during rush hour. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The province is already taking bookings to immunize young kids between 5 and 11 against COVID-19, even before Health Canada approves any vaccine for that group. Richard Zussman is joining us with more on this. So Richard, why is the government taking these registrations so early? This is all about being prepared, Nithu. Pfizer announced earlier this week they have submitted all the documentation to the United States to approve a vaccine for those ages 5 to 11. Right now, the Pfizer vaccine only approved for those ages 12 plus. The expectation is Pfizer will apply here in Canada at some point over the next few days. So the BC government is allowing parents to go online at the same portal where adults registered, anyone over the age of 12, registered for your vaccine. You can now do so for children over the age of five. It's not a first come first serve system. The way it will work is when people are eligible, they will be notified they can book their shot. The other big question here is where will the shot be administered now that clinics are closing? Let's have a look at some of the options BC is now grappling with on how to immunize children if Health Canada ends up approving the Pfizer vaccine as expected. So they'll be looking at community centers and potentially community clinics as a place to immunize children. Pharmacies have provided some immunizations. It could possibly be used for kids, although that is unlikely. Families' doctor's offices have not been used yet, but there is a push that that could be a good place for kids to get the shot because they feel comfortable there. And the last option is in schools, whether that is part of... Uh, package in gyms or in classrooms. These are all of the things that the province is now grappling with. Here's Dr. Anna Wallach. We need to make it easy. That's the biggest thing. We need to make it easier for parents, make it easy for kids. Schools would be a great one. We already know that public health does a fantastic job with the mass immunizations in kindergarten, grade six, grade nine. So we know that system works. Doctor's offices would be a great place as well, especially for the littlest ones. There is optimism that the Pfizer vaccine will be approved, but it has not been approved just yet. Uh, we have seen a rise in cases in kids between the ages of 5 and 12 who are back in school settings and are still not eligible for vaccine. The province is concerned about that sudden increase. And the hope is that by the end of the year, Nithu, those under the age of 12 will finally be able to get their COVID-19 vaccine. Our Richard Zussman in Victoria tonight. Thanks, Richard. The situation in Northern Health is becoming so dire when it comes to COVID-19 that a doctor in Vanderhoof is speaking out publicly, pleading with residents to get vaccinated. As the surging COVID-19 cases in that community are putting the local hospital's operations at risk. 
As Amadagahi reports, it's just one example of the dire impact of the fourth wave of the pandemic in B.C.'s north. I've practiced in Vanderhoof for 10 years and I've, I've never seen anything like this. And it's very hard. St. John Hospital in the northern B.C. community of Vanderhoof is in a dire situation. According to Dr. Rebecca Jansen, its ER is now overrun with COVID patients and on the brink of a closure to all but life and limb-threatening cases. Their staffing situation worsening after one doctor working an important shift this weekend recently tested positive for COVID-19, a breakthrough infection forcing him to stay at home. But it has left me feeling, well, I think left the local physician group feeling uh, quite uncertain about our ability to continue to provide care uh, with the numbers that we're seeing, the volume of, of patients. Compared to the provincial average of 88.5% of eligible British Columbians with at least one dose of the shot, the Nechako local health area is slowly improving but still sits well behind at 71%. Jansen says physicians in her community are exhausted and tragically sometimes losing a battle against misinformation. It is very upsetting to feel that our patients don't trust us. If you're not getting vaccinated, you are going to get COVID in the next year or two. Um, and, and if that's true, do you want to really take that large a chance of landing in hospital, not being able to breathe? In the B.C. Peace region, an area also finding itself under-vaccinated and grappling with the fourth wave of COVID backlash from some in his community has not stopped a Liberal MLA from encouraging people to seek the correct information. I continue to tell people, if you don't want to listen to the politicians, go listen to the doctors and trust your doctor. Mike Bernier is also pushing those who have had the virus and recovered to push through the misinformation with their own personal stories. Emaragahi, Global News. And the Lake Bambin Nation in central BC has declared a COVID-19 state of emergency. It bans all non-essential travel and gatherings in its five communities. That includes no Thanksgiving or family events, funerals or potlatches. In a statement, the nation says it's experiencing a rising number of infections, with two to three members a day testing positive. They add at least six members have died from COVID-19. The emergency declaration is in effect until November 5th. After the business license of a Hope restaurant was suspended because it wasn't following the vaccine card mandate, another restaurant, this time in the interior, has also been ordered to close its doors for allegedly also not checking for proof of immunizations. Darian Matassafung has the story. A downtown Kelowna restaurant has been ordered to shut its doors by Interior Health for defying BC's proof of vaccination system. Interior Health delivered the orders Thursday to Renegade Kitchen and Craft Bar located on Leon Avenue. The restaurant has also had its liquor license suspended. Interior Health was not available for an interview, but did say in an email, Interior Health can confirm that an order was issued Thursday requiring the Renegade Kitchen and Craft Bar to suspend all food and liquor service effective immediately for failing to comply with the Provincial Food and Liquor Serving Premises order, specifically for not verifying proof of vaccination. The investigation took place after Public Health received a number of complaints that this establishment was not checking proof of immunization. 
The notices posted by Interior Health on the front doors of the restaurant reveal the owners to be Megan Carr and Sean Sanders. They did not respond to Global News' requests for an interview, but Carr did post on the Facebook group BC Businesses Against Health Pass on September 9th. She said, we've decided that we will remain open to all and that she hoped her post would help encourage other restaurant owners to defy BC's proof of vaccination system. Renegade Kitchen's permit to operate has been suspended indefinitely until the business can come up with a compliance plan and deliver it to Interior Health. Interior Health has also warned further action may be taken if the business does not comply with the shutdown order. Darian Matassafun, Global News, Kelowna. The union representing RCMP officers says it will support a member's choice to be vaccinated or not against COVID-19. That follows a federal order that Mounties be immunized. The government announced this week that core public servants, including members and reservists of the RCMP, must be vaccinated or face suspension without pay as early as November 15th. The National Police Federation President Brian Sov says the union expected a more meaningful and authentic dialogue with the government on the policy. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky is publicly touting vaccination, saying in a tweet it could save lives. And the Provincial Court of B.C. says all judges and other judicial officers in the B.C. Court of Appeal, Supreme Court and Provincial Court of B.C. have been fully vaccinated. All judicial and court staff, as well as those accessing secure areas of all courthouses, will be required to be fully vaccinated by November 22nd. That's in keeping with the mandate for all public service employees. Vancouver police aren't releasing any details about a dramatic gang-related takedown at the Telus Garden condo tower on Friday. Get up and stop faking this. Oh, man. Under arrest right now. Three hours after officers entered the building with guns drawn during rush hour, two young men were let out in handcuffs. One of the suspects appeared to struggle as he was taken into custody. The same man also appeared to put up a fight as officers tried to cuff his legs before he was placed inside a police vehicle. The VPD Gang Crime Unit arrested the pair with assistance from officers with the province's Uniform Gang Enforcement Team. Police carried out paper and plastic bags of potential evidence, including several cell phones. No, but why are you being arrested? Uh, ask him. He told me to walk I'm faster. asking you. Yeah, he told me to walk out the building and he pushed me down. It's all on camera. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, the province's anti-gang squad, says this was part of a Vancouver police investigation and they have no details on the arrests. The VPD says because the arrests are related to an ongoing investigation, they can't share any specifics. A fire engulfed a Surrey apartment and retail building last night, leaving several people homeless this Thanksgiving weekend. Smoke and flames pouring from the structure on King George Boulevard near 108 at about 8 o'clock Friday night. Firefighters worked to contain and put out the fire, but not before it caused extensive damage to the second floor, where at least two apartment units were located. No injuries were reported, but the residents of those upper floor suites will have to find new places to live. So far, no word on the cause of the fire. 
And it is one of the busiest travel weekends of the year, and a special weather statement for snow has been issued for parts of the interior tonight. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell with the details. So, Yvonne, what areas are you concerned about? It's for the southern interior, really any areas east of Hope. We will see accumulating snowfall, especially for higher elevations and areas that are near the summit. The reason being, we've got a frontal system moving across the province. The snow level is going to drop, and we could see that snow level anywhere between 1,200 to 1,800 meters, and it's really closer towards the summit that we could see a trace, some areas between 10 and up to 15 centimeters. So winter driving conditions, please be prepared if you're heading out on the roadways and all the following highways, so from the Coquihalla, the Connector, as well as the Eagles to Rogers Pass, and the Paulson Summit all the way in towards the Kootenai Pass will be included within that. So the timeline is this evening, we'll see that rain changing over to snow. The snowfall will continue through the day for tomorrow for higher elevations, once again, especially near the summit. We are seeing some active weather along the south coast for tomorrow. We've got the risk of thunderstorms. There is a bright spot. More coming up very shortly. Nithu? Looking forward to that. Thanks, Yvonne. And after the break, restrictions reinstated at Ferry Creek. So we will be documenting everything. We will be making sure that we have a record. After protesters celebrated the end of an injunction last week, the court's latest decision against them. And judgment decision. More on a Whistler woman's sentence after she was handed the highest penalty possible for feeding bears. A judge has temporarily restored an injunction at the Ferry Creek blockade on Vancouver Island. There was celebration in the forest at the end of September after a lower court judge ended a year-long injunction allowing logging in the Ferry Creek watershed, saying the actions of RCMP, often seen as heavy-handed by critics, were putting the court's reputation at risk. More than 1,000 people have been arrested in what's become B.C.'s largest act of civil disobedience. But the company, Teal Jones, appealed, and late Friday, an appeals court judge reinstated the injunction. This justice uh, with the Court of Appeal did not issue any um, recommendations to the RCMP to change their behavior at all. She gave them no guidance on that. She just simply said that the injunction enforcement order is in place the same as it was before and that was the end of it. So we will be documenting everything. We will be making sure that we have a record of, vid of videos, um, photographs of first-hand accounts. We will make sure that we that we record everything that goes on on the ground. Well, we're very pleased that the justice uh, recognized the importance of reinstating the uh, the injunction. Um, there was quite a bit of potential for even more anarchy out in the woods, and uh, we were quite concerned about everybody's safety and being able to go back and do our lawfully permitted work out in the out in the forest. We are learning more about the woman who recently received the highest overall penalty under BC's Wildlife Act for feeding and attracting bears. As Kristen Robinson reports, she and her spouse split their time between Whistler and Switzerland. And although his charges were dropped, the judge rejected the lawyer's joint submissions and imposed a heftier fine on her. Behind fences and secluded by trees, a dangerous buffet led to a death sentence for three bears in a quiet Whistler neighborhood. According to an agreed statement of facts, numerous witnesses recounted often seeing up to five bears at once at Zuzana Stevikova's home in the summer of 2018. 
At the time, property records showed Stevikova's co-accused, Stefan Oliver Dugan, was listed as the co-owner of this luxury home in Cadenwood that recently sold for $15.5 million. Stevikova bought up to 10 cases of apples, 50 pounds of carrots and pears, and up to 15 dozen eggs per week. She was heard calling a bear by a name, Lily, and told one witness she was feeding them as they looked skinny and she was concerned for their welfare, and so that people in Whistler would not complain about them and the conservation officers would not kill them. But when conservation officers visited the property in September 2018, they found five bears on site, including a sow and two cubs, who were euthanized as they had become habituated to human behavior. We cannot feed wildlife. It will ultimately result in their death. And if you even try to feed them and attract them, you could be exposed to a very hefty fine, and that's exactly what happened here. For repeatedly attracting bears, Stevikova was fined $35,000, with all but 500 going to the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation. Stevikova's culpability is at the highest end, said the judge. Her actions were deliberate, and she deliberately sidestepped the province's wildlife management scheme. Actual harm in the form of death to three black bears was realized. And that, to me, was incredible for the judge to find that the death of three animals was an aggravating factor. Intentionally feeding bears cost Stevikova 25 grand, again with the bulk of the penalty going to charity. Charges against Dugan were stayed. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Still ahead, the warning from experts as ivermectin use in Alberta increases. But some of the calls, based on the history we've been able to get, have been prescribed by physicians. And the BC doctor accused of spreading misinformation about the controversial drug. Plus, a Canadian residential school survivor's reaction to the Pope's recent apology following a report about abuse by Francis Catholic Church. So looking at the Cassiar, things are fine in both directions. You might find... A little bit of volume on uh, North Van on the Ironworkers. At South Van, there was a stall mid-span in the right lane. It has since been cleared, but maybe give it a little bit of time for volume to clear up. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance? You get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. From the Global Traffic Center, I'm Jackson McNulty. Hours before talks began between the U.S. and the Taliban, the group now in control of Afghanistan made a bold announcement. It will not help the U.S. keep extremist groups out of the country. It came after a deadly suicide bombing in a mosque that killed dozens of Afghans. Jennifer Johnson reports. Saturday saw mass funerals for the 46 people killed in a suicide bombing at a mosque Friday. Images of the attack are horrific. The Shia mosque was packed for Friday prayers. Less than 24 hours later, the Taliban has told the U.S. and Western allies it will not cooperate in ridding Afghanistan of extremists. Not the compromise U.S. officials wanted, but what many Afghans feared and why so many fled their country. I was happy there, but uh, when the Taliban came, we were in danger. It was so hard to leave our home, our country. Senior Taliban rulers are meeting with diplomats from Western countries, including Canada this weekend in Doha, already dismissing a plan to crack down on extremist groups. ISIS is seen as the terror group that poses the greatest international security threat. Military experts say they can organize almost anywhere. 
The reality is global terrorist groups like al-Qaeda or ISIS can go a lot of places. So Afghanistan is not unique in that standpoint. They could operate from Pakistan or somewhere else. Also central to this weekend's talks is the evacuation of additional Afghans, especially those who helped allied forces, countries like the U.S. and Canada, during the war. For now, security in Afghanistan remains very unstable. The future, for millions, as uncertain as ever. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Pope Francis apologized this week for the scale of child sexual abuse within the church in France after a scathing report. But Canadian residential school survivors have yet to receive such an apology. We are hearing reaction from one of them tonight. And a warning, this story may be distressing for some viewers. Give back the land. Right? Every piece of land that they own in Canada, give it back to the Indigenous population. Barry Kennedy, who survived after attending a residential school in Saskatchewan, says he wants to see actions behind an apology, not just words. He says stolen land should be returned to Indigenous communities who should decide how to sell and divide it. The Archbishop... We're still walking around with, uh, uh, consumed with pain, um, anger, grief, and a lot of us still feeling humiliated from everything that took place and the long-lasting effects of being abused and, and sexually abused. The Archbishop of Regina, Don Bolin, issued a statement saying, in part, I have offered apologies in this context, but I also know that apologies need to be followed by action, practical steps of acknowledgement, accompaniment, support, and solidarity. He added the church doesn't know the numbers of Indigenous people who were sexually abused by the clergy in residential schools and continue to carry deep wounds. And we know these stories are distressing for some of our viewers. If you or someone you know needs support, you can call the number on your screen, 1-866-925-4419. The crisis line operates 24 hours a day. And now to Ontario, which has become the latest province to lift capacity limits for indoor and outdoor events. The Ontario government announced late yesterday it will allow professional sports and other venues to fill 100% of their seats, so long as patrons show proof of COVID-19 vaccination. Ontario says there has been a limited number of outbreaks in those settings. In BC, capacity at Canucks and Lions games is capped at 50%. But people we spoke to outside Rogers Arena seemed prepared to accept higher limits here as well. As long as cases are down, like here in BC, they're quite low. I think it's fine if everybody has their vaccine passports and are wearing masks when they're standing. Um, yeah, I agree. It's very different in Alberta. So, <laughs> yeah. Alberta's cases are quite a bit higher, so I'd almost be okay with capacity limits in Alberta, whereas here I think it's fine if they're lifted. Misinformation has been a driving force behind vaccine hesitancy and the dangerous use of certain drugs to fight COVID-19. One of those drugs is ivermectin, and increased use in Alberta has experts issuing a warning. Alberta's poison hotline has had 13 calls in the last five weeks for ivermectin and says all but one for people using it to combat COVID-19. To put that into perspective, in the last five and a half years, there has been a total of 57 ivermectin-related calls, 22 of them this calendar year alone. People are taking veterinary-grade ivermectin for treatment or prophylaxis, despite 
warnings from the Veterinary Medical Association, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, Alberta Health, Alberta Health Services, and other organizations saying this is like dangerous, don't do this. And the other thing, to be honest, that's concerning is that some of the calls, based on the history we've been able to get, have been prescribed by physicians. That doctor took to Twitter to share some of the calls in Alberta in hopes of driving the message home that this isn't safe and can have dangerous repercussions. Alberta Health Services says several medical governing bodies are reviewing claims made by a physician that patients with COVID-19 in Alberta were treated with ivermectin. On the eve of World Mental Health Day, a Vancouver support group is raising awareness that help is available for those struggling with mental health issues, including for young adults. Funded by donations, Coast Mental Health offers a program for young people generally between 19 and 30 who have experienced trauma and live with mental health challenges. Many of their peer support workers can provide empathy and support after going through their own personal struggles. The biggest thing in, uh, that, that I find uh, in mental health is the ability to listen to yourself as well as others, rather than not just listen to every thought that comes into your head, because sometimes your thoughts play tricks on you and you want to you find the truth in, in what you're looking for. So we work with them to develop a curriculum to actually train young people in actually helping others, but also to provide their own insight. They get about 90 hours of classroom training before they actually start a practicum program. And then it's a three-month supported practicum program, and then they become full-fledged peer workers. And it's been a very powerful program that allows young people to actually get some real positive um, reinforcement for the journey they've been on. Coming up next, a new winter tire warning. There's not going to be a lot of options once the snow starts to fly. How the pandemic is causing problems that'll have you wanting to switch out your all seasons soon. Plus. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, with the weather getting cooler and roads getting slicker, this year's winter tire reminders come with a new warning about short supply. With COVID-19 causing production and stock issues, BC drivers are being urged to make the switch from all seasons soon. Adam Donnelly of CFJC News has more on the message to motorists. He's like your own personal pit crew. Tyler Graham owns Elite Mobile Tire, a full-service tire shop that travels to where his customers are located. It's a service in high demand these days. Especially for businesses that have you know, more than half a dozen vehicles, they don't have to take two or three guys to drop a vehicle off at a shop. I can come right to their compound or where they're working and, and do stuff for them. There's no downtime. This time of year, anyone who installs tires is busy. As of October 1st, vehicles traveling on BC highways are required to have tires marked with the mountain snowflake symbol or at the very least M&S. According to Alan Hay, owner of Integra Tire on Notre Dame, his customers have been making preparations. It uh, definitely started earlier this year. We kind of noticed at the end of August people were starting to prepare, but probably mostly due to the tire shortages and just issues with everything. The pandemic has had a significant impact on the global supply chain. From appliances, electronics, new cars, and yes, tires, anything manufactured overseas and shipped to Canada has seen impacts. It just depends on what you want. So there's still lots of tires available, but certain brands have definitely been a bit more of a struggle to try and get. Light truck tires are definitely an issue this year. Graham works fast. However, there's only so much a one-man crew can accomplish. 
about uh, 10 and 15 per day. I'm only one guy, sometimes I have a helper. Um, so it is a little bit slower pace compared to the big shops, but I am booked up for about four weeks solid. And if you need to buy new rubber, better to act fast instead of waiting too long, or you might find yourself out in the cold. I wouldn't be the last person to try and find tires this year because there's not going to be a lot of options once the snow starts to fly. Adam Donnelly, CFJC News. We're all family, right? So it's community connection. How much this annual Thanksgiving dinner in Vancouver's downtown east side means to so many. That's coming up just ahead. But first, let's bring back meteorologist Yvonne Shell for another look at the full forecast and a lot of green behind you there on the radar. Yeah, so along the south coast, we're talking rain, but it's the interior and higher elevations once again. You will need those winter tires. Uh, we've got accumulating snowfall this evening and then continuing through the day on Sunday. Here's a swath of moisture that we're seeing. Waves of rain and heavy at times, 20 and up to 30 millimeters for this evening, and the winds are ramping up where we could see gusts anywhere between 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. We can see that across the island as well. And and that instability and this frontal system moving its way in towards the southern interior. And that'll be the concern as we get in late this evening and continuing through the day on Sunday. Now, most areas in the interior will continue to see that snowfall. But along the south coast, a heads up for the afternoon tomorrow. The future cast is showing us we are going to see some instability. It'll be for all areas along the south coast, Metro Vancouver included within that, where we'll be looking at the risk of thunderstorms. So that'll be a concern through the afternoon and early evening. And a westerly wind tomorrow, sustained at 20. We could see gusts closer to 40 kilometers per hour. So snow level is dropping. And as we get in towards our Sunday, once again, that range between 1,200 to 1,800 meters near the summit is where we could see that accumulating snowfall. And we've got a range with a lot of variability between a trace and potentially up to 15 centimeters. So please be prepared if you are traveling along any of those mountain passes. And a reminder, any of these tires with these labels are needed. They're required from now all the way until April 30th. And it's recommended for all roads when temperatures are dropping just below seven degrees. So a reminder, be prepared, get the tires. And if you're heading out there on the roadways, it'll be accumulating as we look ahead towards tomorrow. Now, the instability for the northern half of the province along the coast will be the risk of thunderstorms. Most areas in the central interior, we do have a chance for some showers. Breezy for the southern interior, it's higher elevations that we've got accumulating snowfall. But in the valleys tomorrow, we are still seeing the chance for some showers and temperatures into the double digits. Now, Whistler, Merritt, and all spots across the south coast will be seeing that instability. So it's a chance of showers, a risk of thunderstorms, and those winds westerly sustained at 20, potentially seeing gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. So breezy. We've got one more active day, which will be for tomorrow, and then a nice break. Nithu, that's a dancing turkey that we've got there for Monday. So you can work <laughs> off your turkey on Monday. It looks to be a dry one. You can get out. Temperatures will be sitting at 12 degrees degrees and then some instability may start to push in for both our Tuesday, Wednesday. But tomorrow, risk of thunderstorms, Thanksgiving Monday, some sunshine in the mix. I feel like that turkey is making fun of us. Yeah. We'll let it go. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. You bet. Well, the pandemic hasn't stopped the need to give back this Thanksgiving weekend. At the Union Gospel Mission, they gave out 1,400 meals. In total, 1,200 pounds of turkey, along with mashed potatoes, gravy, vegetables, cranberry sauce, and 285 pies. Volunteers came out to help make the event happen in line with COVID-19 safety guidelines. That includes Janish Shostak, who recalls her own struggles and now gives back to the community by teaching women how to sew and repair clothing. She says the meals the UGM provides offered her a lifeline. What it means to me, what it meant to me was, it was kind of some community connection. So, cause we're all family, right? So it's community connection. 
some food in my stomach. I was starving. I'm thinking really of our outreach teams and the difficult year that it has been for them. Uh, they have been on the front lines all throughout this pandemic, uh, serving this community, and that has not been easy. Despite that, they're here. There's a lot of people out there as the weather changes that are uh, finding themselves to be more in need at this time of year and ensuring that there's things for them to have. And in Burnaby, parishioners and volunteers at Jubilee United Church accepted donations for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank today. It's the second year the church has run a drive-through collection that allows everybody to stay physically distant while contributing to a good cause. The group collecting box after box of food with cash donations also gratefully accepted, allowing the food bank to buy foods that are most in need. Wow, great efforts there and certainly perspective this Thanksgiving weekend. Hmm. Well, I'm thankful for all the sports going on. Absolutely. <laughs> the best no time of year. shortage of entertainment, Barry. There's everything. There is hockey, baseball, football, baseball, whatever you want, soccer. We got it. Tennis. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Canucks, it's kind of uh, final auditions for those uh, players on the bubble trying to make the final roster on the ice right now against the Oilers. We'll have highlights of that. Whitecaps in a bit of trouble in Seattle. They're underway against the first place Sounders, so highlights of that. And we've got uh, Vashik Pospisil of Vancouver playing tennis. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin on the PGA Tour. So the locals have been busy today, and we'll tell you all <laughs> about it coming up. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. Also ahead, 50 years of Greenpeace. It's just reminded us that action of a few good people can change the world. Marking the BC-born environmental success stories anniversary and what its future could look like. Talks of the climate crisis and demonstrations demanding action to reverse the effects of environmental damage may be commonplace now, but it took us decades to get to this point. And a protest group born in B.C. that made waves around the world helped start that conversation. Paul Johnson has more on 50 years of Greenpeace. When you see old growth activists getting arrested at a place like Ferry Creek or Extinction Rebellion blocking a bridge in Vancouver, there's actually a through line that goes back 50 years to a small group of activists in Vancouver. I have always been inspired by what Greenpeace did in its early days. Vancouver architect Michael Green has organized an outdoor display on Granville Island commemorating the 50th anniversary of Greenpeace. What began as a small group of Vancouverites opposed to nuclear testing in Alaska morphed into one of the world's best-known and most controversial activist groups. Taking a stand on everything from nuclear weapons to whaling, Greenpeace invented the modern template for large-scale action and civil disobedience about the environment. It's the way they would put themselves physically between the whaling ship and the whale. Whether you're inspired by Greenpeace or utterly opposed to everything they stand for, one thing that's probably undeniable is that among movements that were born here in Vancouver, Greenpeace is probably the most consequential yet. Do you know what the group Greenpeace is? No. But like so many made in Canada stories, Canadians are often the last to recognize them. In our small poll Saturday, hardly anyone knew that Greenpeace came from Vancouver. Many weren't even sure what it is. I think I saw it in a movie about a whale. Pretty close. Well, the Granville Island exhibit is backward looking. The nature of conservation is about the future. Greenpeace is still doing this all over the world. They have offices in 
in India and China and Central and South America. Rex Weiler was an early Greenpeace photographer who says as Greenpeace faces its new battles over water, food security and climate change. Vancouverites ought to be proud of its roots. It's something that Vancouver gave to the world. It was the global ecology movement that started here and went worldwide. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead, have you dreamed of owning a castle? A home that looks just like one in BC's southern interior is up for sale. How much it's listed for, coming up. The Taste of Yaletown is back for the month of October. Check out the culinary treasures of Yaletown with new participating restaurants, specialty menus, happy hours, and more, with partial proceeds going to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank and Yaletown House. More info available online. Don't miss Imagine Picasso coming to Vancouver's Convention Center East for a limited time. Immerse yourself in a unique and novel perspective of Picasso's work, showcasing 200 of his paintings projected onto large origami-style structures. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back with a full look at sports. And Barry, as you mentioned, a treat for sports fans this long weekend. No shortage of play to entertain. There's lots. It's fun. Got to have a good thumb for the remote. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. The uh, Canucks are on the ice right now at Rogers playing their final preseason tune-up versus Edmonton. Travis Green has iced a lineup that will closely resemble the one we'll see on opening night in Edmonton on Wednesday. The only two veterans missing, the injured Brock Besser and forward Jason Dickinson earlier, Will Lockwood and Carson Folkt were both sent to Abbotsford. Nick Patan is among those on the bubble getting another look tonight. Big game for a lot of Canucks. At least they don't have to worry about McDavid and Dreisaitl, both sitting this one out for the Oilers. Canucks uh, had a lot of shots early on. This is probably their best chance. Jack Rathbone shot tipped Elias Pettersson on the rebound, but Nico Koskinen gathers it in to keep it scoreless. Canucks had some chances on a power play, couldn't convert. Then the Oilers on a power play, and it's Evan Bouchard who's got a bomb back there, and he unloads past Thatcher Demko, one nothing Oilers, and then... The Canucks turn it over here, and the Oilers make them pay. Nice uh, setup here for Brendan Perlini, who's now got six goals in the preseason for Edmonton, and they lead 2-0 after one. The Whitecaps' amazing run in the last 15 games has given them a fighting chance to make the MLS playoffs. Caps have just one loss since July the 7th. Seven wins, seven draws, and one defeat in that span. But they are still a point out of the last playoff spot. Seven games to go, but lots of tough ones, including two against first place Seattle. The two Cascadia rivals underway this hour in Seattle. We've got highlights. Young Thomas Hassall in goal with Max Cropeau tending the net for Team Canada. Sounders, though, strike quickly. Just five minutes in, long ball into the box, headed in by Shane O'Neill. That was great service, but hey, the Caps have to mark better than that. 1-0 Seattle, and they weren't done yet. Will Bruin with a nice play down low, slips it to Nicholas Benazet, who turns and fires it in. Seattle, a very dynamic team, and they're showing that 2-0, and that is the score in the first half. 
All right, all-Canadian matchup at Indian Wells. Vancouver's Vashik Pospisil against Denis Shapovalov, seated ninth, second-round action. Shapovalov broke Pospisil to start the match, then consolidates on his own serve. Nice forehand winner will catch the line to love Shapovalov early. And then this, Vasek, while serving, just pulls something in his back, which is a huge concern. He had the uh, successful back surgery a couple of years ago that has led to a resurgent in his career. He tried to keep going, but just could not. So he retires with injury. Shapovalov onto the third round, but concern for Vasek. Later today, 2019 Indian Wells, a women's champ, Bianca Andrescu plays her first match against American Allison Risky. Baseball playoffs, game two, Brewers and Braves from Milwaukee. Brewers won the opener yesterday, top third. Atlanta up one nothing. add to the lead. Ozzie Albies golfs one off the shoe tops, off the top of the wall. Freddie Freeman is going to try to score from first. Here comes the relay, not in time. And it's 2-0 Braves. And then in the sixth, Austin Riley, he's a big boy, gets all of this. 33 homers, 107 RBI during the regular season. No doubt about that shot to center. 3-0 Braves, that's the final. So this best of five series now tied at one apiece. CFL tonight, Rough Riders and Stampeders from Regina. Stamps beat the Riders last week in Calgary. They don't waste any time getting on the board. Opening minute, Bo Levi Mitchell airing it out to Markeith Ambles, who will amble into the end zone. A 71-yard touchdown play. 7-0 Stampeders. Riders still down seven in the second. We'll tie it up. Cody Fajardo to Ricardo Lewis, who does the rest. Bulls his way into the end zone. It was 13-all at the half, and it's still tied late in the fourth, 19-all. PGA Tour stop from, or let's do a Raptors here first as they take on the uh, Boston Celtics. And they've got some young guys going here. Their uh, rookie choice, uh, first-round choice, Barnes with the uh, turnaround jumper there, then off the steal. Gary Trent Jr. beating the buzzer, and the Raptors had the lead at the half. And then more from Barnes as he will take the pass and throw it down. Raptors looking good. Have an exciting team. They're going to run a lot this year. Don't have the size underneath that they would like, but they'll try to beat teams by running. And, of course, they've got old dependable Freddie Van Vliet, who had six threes today, but uh, it wasn't enough. Down two. And they will miss the shot. They tip it in, but that is after the buzzer, so the basket is no good in the Celtics win. Toronto opens their regular season against the Washington Wizards on October the 20th. PGA Tour stop is from fabulous Las Vegas. The Shriners Hospitals for Children open. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin in the mix, sitting at 13 under at the 13th from 13 feet. His numbers coming through in Vegas as he makes the putt, gets it to 14 under, and then at the short par 4-15th, drove it just short of the green. Then this beautiful chip shot to about a foot, so he tapped that in for birdie. Hadwin got it to 15 under, was tied second at one moment, but a bogey to 18 has him at 14 under and tied for seventh. The leader is Adam Shank, birdied three of his last four. He's at 18 under. Four up on Hadwin. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford shot 73 today. He's tied 54th at minus six. The LPGA from New Jersey, the Cognizant Founders Cup. Canada's Brooke Henderson finished tied second last week in the hunt again. And this is for birdie on the par three fifth. And Brooke knocks it down. She's tied 11th 
through three rounds at six under, but South Korean Jin Young-ko is running away with it. She will sink the birdie here also on the fifth, just two under for her round, but Ko is at 13 under for the tournament, and that is good for a four-shot lead. And hey, Vancouver Giants fans back at the Langley Event Center last night after 588 days between games. Giants home to Prince George, 3-3 in the second, and Ethan Semnick will knock in the loose puck to give Vancouver a 4-3 lead. And then Justin Sordiff, their captain this year, off to a great start. He had a goal and two assists, including that one. Giants win 6-4 in front of over 2,600. They are 2-0 this young season. Prince George is 0-2. So great to see all the junior hockey back, not only in the Western League, but uh, BCHL as well. Nice to see indeed. Thanks so much, Barry. Well, up next, a castle that could be yours. A look at the whimsical property up for sale in BC's southern interior. Next. How about all that jazz? No. Modern jazz? No. Jazz it up. Just the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW. All right, fine. Your local dish. The local dish. Taste of the neighborhood with Kasia Baderka. The inside scoop on the restaurants that make BC unique. Get the local dish on the local dish on Global News. All right, here's a chance to fulfill your dreams of royalty for just under three and a half million dollars. There's a castle for sale in the North Okanagan. It was built 10 years ago by the current owners. This home that resembles a castle on Sugar Lake Road is 3,200 square feet. It sits on eight acres of land and boasts a zip line across the river. There's even a drawbridge over a koi-filled moat. The theme continues inside with arched doorways and stone-like flooring. It's listed on the Sotheby's real estate site for $3,450,000. Pretty cool. Okay, that's supposed to be a steal. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, and for Vancouver prices, yep, three and a half no sounds kidding. reasonable, even oh. for a castle. Yeah. <laughs> The housing crisis is not one that we are going to go into as we run out of time on the show, but what we will go into is another look at the forecast. Yvonne. It's wet and windy this evening. We'll continue to see some instability for tomorrow with even the risk of thunderstorms. All right, stay warm and dry out there, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Jordan will be here at 11. Have a great night.